Everybody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go to Mark chapter 4? I do not intend to be in front of you long today. Mark chapter 4. You know, we use it as a cliche sometimes, but the Bible does say that I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And on a day like today, I don't know about you, but I'm especially glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Um, as you know, we are paying close attention to the ongoing fluid situation surrounding the coronavirus or COVID-19, and we're doing so drenched in prayer. We're doing so drenched in the wisdom that only God can give us. We're also drenched in the humility to know that we are in uncharted waters, as Deputy Superintendent Norm Ross said so perfectly earlier. We're, we're in uncharted territory here. We love and respect those of you who are able to join us today in person. We also love and respect those who are joining us virtually. We are monitoring the situation on multiple levels. We have contingency plans in place. But in the midst of all of this, you know, we've recognized that we are a faith-filled people. We are people who believe in God. We are people who have placed all of our hope and our confidence in him, as we just sung. And we recognize, as I mentioned uh, this week, faith is not fearful, but faith is also not flippant either. So we want to give you some very concrete steps that you can take at the end of the service and some concrete forms that you can fill out on your phone via text message that can basically make sure that we remain connected. We are monitoring the situation from service to service. But how many you know God is monitoring this situation? That God is overseeing it and God is the one who we place our confidence in. Amen. Mark chapter four, verse 35, it says that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Verse 37 says, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? I want to preach a message today entitled, When the Storm Hits. When the storm hits, everybody say when the storm hits in the middle of September in 2004, I remember I woke up earlier than normal. It was 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m. And I remember I had been tossing and turning throughout the majority of the night. Uh, I, I didn't get good sleep. I was looking around. I was startled by everything that I heard, whether it was wind, whether it was something on the outside, whether it was one of my family members around me. And I remember tossing and turning. And then I woke up at 6, 6.30 a.m., my family and I, we walked outside of our home and we saw that our neighbor's privacy fence was scattered all across our yard. We saw that there were down trees. We saw that they were down power lines. Some of you already know September 2004 is when Hurricane Ivan hit. Was anyone here in Pensacola when Hurricane Ivan hit? I remember that we hopped in the car and we mustered up the courage before they closed down the roads and established the curfew and the blockades to drive out down 297A and drive out towards Pensacola and to see down power lines and strong trees that had been standing for years uprooted by the wind, uprooted by tornadoes, uprooted by the devastation of Hurricane Ivan. I remember waiting in line two to three hours for gas. Anybody remember that? I remember we were out of school for two weeks. I remember not having power in our house for two and a half weeks. I remember that we could see the stars so clearly because there were no street lights. I remember that we could see constellations that we wouldn't normally be able to see. I remember the most beautiful places on the beach, the most beautiful places on the seashore were destroyed, as you can see behind you. And, and it shaped us because most of us, you know, we've been through many hurricanes before. We were prepared for a storm. 
But how many know we weren't prepared for this storm? We were prepared for a hurricane, but we weren't prepared for this hurricane. And from this point on, from 2004 on, we had to take a step back and ask ourselves the question, what do we do when we're hit by a storm? What do we do? How do we respond when we're hit with a storm that we weren't expecting, that's greater, that's more terrifying, that's more difficult than what we had prepared for? I don't know if you realize this, but church, we're in a storm right now. We're in the midst of a storm. We're in the midst of devastation. We're in the midst of panic and fear and hysteria. And it's important for us to name that. It's going to do us no good to act like it doesn't exist. But the storm has come to our doorstep. And the question that many people are asking themselves and we as a church have to ask ourselves is what do we do when this storm hits? What do we do now that this storm has come to our doorstep? What we see in Mark chapter 4 and what we see throughout the context of the scriptures is that storms serve a purpose in God's plan. Storms serve a purpose in God's plan. I hope today I'll be able to prove to you that God is actually trying to teach us through these storms, through the difficulties of life that we encounter. How many of you so far beyond this virus in 2020, you've encountered a storm? How many of you have encountered difficulty? How many of you have encountered pain and loss and confusion and despair? Well, let me help you. This storm didn't catch God by surprise. The storm that you encountered in your life, it's not catching God by surprise, but it does catch us by surprise. So it's not that we have to change God's perspective. It's that we have to change our perspective, church. And so I want to give you some perspectives through some words that are spoken in Mark chapter four. Very quickly, number one, we see a word of purpose. Every say, everybody say purpose. A word of purpose. Look at Mark chapter four, verse thirty five. It says here, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Let us go over to the other side. You know, the book of Mark doesn't usually do this type of writing where he goes into great detail about events and specific days that Jesus had. But it's clear here that Jesus had spent a great deal of time explaining and teaching about the kingdom of God. It's clear if you look ahead in the first 34 verses of Mark chapter 4, you'll see that Jesus is taking his time ministering to people. Jesus is taking his time expending energy in the presence of others. He had lovingly served and healed and helped, and now he was tired. Is anybody tired in the house? Now he was exhausted. Now he had spent all of his virtue. Now he had used up all the words that he had been allotted for that day. Now he was so tired from being on his feet. He was so tired from laying hands and reaching out. And he gets on the boat to go to a place of purpose. But before he gets to the place of purpose, a storm interrupts him. C can I help you out with something? Uh, storm truth number one, so that you guys know this. Storms hit us when we least expect them. Storms hit us when we least expect them. Some of you are wondering why you're going through what you're going through right now. You are wondering why you are encountering a storm. You're wondering why we as a nation or as a people or even as a world have encountered a storm. And let me tell you a storm principle. Storms will hit us when we are most vulnerable. Storms will hit us when we are at least expecting them. Storms will hit us when we are not prepared for them. Storms will hit us. And the question is not, what, what can I do about the storm? Because we can't control the storm. But what can I do in response to the fact that there was a storm that hit me and I was not prepared for it? The question, church, is not whether or not the storm has hit you. This is the question. Do you remember your purpose? Do you remember your purpose, church? 
Do you remember where you were intending to go? You see, if I was one of the disciples, I'm going to tell you honestly, I would have turned that boat right back around. I would have said, this is not where we're supposed to go. Why? Because the opposition is telling me that I need to go a different route. Can I help you out, church? The opposition is telling you you're on the right route. The opposition is telling you that you're moving towards your purpose. The opposition is telling you that you don't need to turn around, but you need to press forward. Do you have a word of purpose? Are you going somewhere, church? And what God is trying to tell us is that this storm that we're facing in our world, it should not distract us from our purpose. It should not distract us from our mission. It should not distract us from our goals. We are still pushing for whole church 2020. We are still commissioned. We are still destiny unlockers. We are still walking in what God has called us to walk in. Do you have a purpose, church? See, a purpose will set up for you an unchangeable route that you walk through. And no matter if you face a storm or a giant or an obstacle or a difficulty or anything in your life, you say, I still know what my purpose is. Everybody say purpose. The word of purpose, it's overcome by a word. Number two, a word of panic. Everybody say panic. Look at Mark chapter four, verse 36. It says, leaving the crowd behind, they took him, Jesus, just as he was in the boat. And then it says this, there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. There are three significant phrases here in this cluster of verses, 36 to 38. There are three significant statements I want you to pay attention to. First significant statement is there were also other boats with him. You know, this is mentioned in three passages in the New Testament, this particular story, Matthew chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, and Mark chapter 4. And only in Mark chapter 4 is there this little parenthetical interjection. There were other boats with him. Who was in the boats? Theologians don't necessarily know. Some of them think it may have been other disciples. Some of it think that it could have been other well-wishers of people who are trying to follow Jesus. But the question is undoubtedly answered that this boat that Jesus was in was leading the pack and the other boats were watching. Do you realize that people are watching you right now? Do you realize that other boats are watching you navigate these waters of fear and hysteria and confusion? Do you realize that other people in your family know that you claim the name of Jesus and they're watching to see if you're going to succumb to fear and panic and they're watching to see if you're going to reduce your character and your integrity and they're watching to see how you respond? Do you realize that there are other boats with you? Do you realize that there are other people in your neighborhood who are watching whether or not you're going to be kind and compassionate and gracious to others? Do you realize that there are other people who have attached themselves to you that God has assigned to you and they're watching and taking your lead and they're saying, what is this boat going to do? What is this person going to say? How are they going to react? That's why, church, we recognize that our lives are not just about us, that our lives are inextricably linked with other people and our lives are connected to other people's purpose. So can I encourage you? Remember you're being watched. Remember that you're being monitored. Remember that people are following you. Young people and old people, remember that you are not in this alone. You set the tone for the people around you. There were other boats that we're following along. Significant statement number two. It's this in verse 37. It says a furious squall, a storm. Greek word lilac. It means a windstorm came up. And the waves broke over the boat. So that it was nearly swamped. Now what was the disciples. Some of the disciples profession. Before they started following Jesus. Fishermen. Now I want you to keep this in mind. They were fishermen. 
which means they were fishermen by vocation, by trade. It was not a hobby. It wasn't something that they did once every Saturday morning. This was their job. And the men who were especially trained and qualified and capable and ready, they were panicking themselves. Can I help you with something? Church, you're going to experience storms that are going to be beyond your capacity. You're going to experience storms that expose you to your limits. You're going to experience storms that supersede all the education you should have received. You're going to experience storms that supersede all the money you have in your bank. You're going to experience storms that supersede all the things that you have prepared yourself and insulated yourself for. I remember when Hurricane Ivan hit, we thought we were doing the right thing, but the reality is those winds were a little bit stronger than what we had anticipated. It superseded our capacity to prepare. And what God is saying is, remember that this storm is set up to show you your limitations. Can I help you with something, church? You are not God. You are not in control. You are not on the throne. You are not the person who is leading your life, even though you may be walking in the midst of your life. You are not the person who is in control. And God allows storms to remind us of our limitations and to remind us that as much as you think that education is going to save you, as much as you think where you are and where you live is going to save you, it's not. It's beyond your capacity. And God wants us to sit back and embrace our capacity. That's why storm truth number two, storms hurry us when we don't need it. Storms hurt us when we least expect it. Number two, storms hurry us when we don't need it. You know what this has exposed in us as a society? Is we're a society that is built on rushing. We're a society that's built on hurry. We're a society that's built on getting to the next place as fast as we can possibly go. We are a society that does not know how to slow down. And God in his providence is saying, I'm going to force you to slow down so that you will realize for the first time, maybe in your life, you are not the Christ. I am going to slow you down. Some of us have been running so hard working so much, doing so much, and God is like, no, your family comes first. I have to slow you down just to remind you of your limitations. Some of us haven't been sleeping at night. Some of us have been staying up late, or some of us have been getting up at the crack of dawn, and we've been looking around, and we've been trying to figure it out, and we said, it'll, it'll get better. It'll get easier in a couple of weeks. It'll get easier in a couple of months, and God says, wait a minute. In my grace, I'm going to allow you to pull back and slow down. And storms have this way of hurrying us, but God steps in front of us and he says, hold on, you have to slow down. You have to walk at my pace, the pace of grace. You have to strive in the way that I've told you to stride. And God is saying to you, Shh, slow down, slow down, stop hurrying. Why are you rushing so fast? I'm in control of time. I'm outside of time, but I created time. That means I can step in time and still be on time. Are you hearing me, church? God is saying, slow down, slow down. Pause. I've been reading this book. It's called, I just finished it. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by a guy named John Mark Comer. John Mark Comer, he puts it like this. Look at this quotation. It's a little bit long, but follow me. Because what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul. And what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. Watch. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. 
That bodes well for those apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to him and to all that is good, beautiful, and true in the world, but not for those who give their attention to, listen, not for those, not for those, not for those who give their attention to the 24-7 news cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotion. Put a different way, very simply, next quote, attention is the beginning of devotion. Attention is the beginning of devotion. And what this virus has revealed for us, what a storm will reveal for us, is that our attention was on the wrong things. Do you realize that there are a lot of people who are wealthy and rich and in their right place and have accomplished all their dreams, but you can't buy immunity from this virus? So now they're having to take a step back and say, wait a second, I need to make sure that I prioritize the things that I'm supposed to prioritize because as much as I've accomplished in my life, I focused on the wrong things. And now when I stand before God, I'm not going to be able to present those things to him and say, is this good enough? He said, no, your attention should have been on me. Your devotion should have been with me. Your focus should have been on me. Attention is the beginning of devotion, church. And notice here, when dreams, when storms hurry us up, when storms push us, when the squall and the winds and the waves come, this is a significant statement number three in this cluster of verses. Watch this. The disciples have the audacity, the unmitigated gall to look at the king of kings and said, teacher, do you even care? See, we've been hurrying so much that now we start to question who our God is. We've been rushing so much and we've lived our lives. Remember, we can be professing Christians and functional atheists. We live our lives as though God doesn't exist. We never pray and we never praise and we think we're going to get it in and get a booster shot on Sunday. And then we act as though God doesn't exist when we're outside of our Christian bubble. And God is saying, now you're going to question my character. Now you're going to question how good I am. God, do you even care? And in the quietness of our lives, in the quietness of our hearts and our souls, we have to be honest that some of us have had the audacity to ask God that question. Do you even care? If you cared, you would have showed up by now. If you cared, I wouldn't be dealing with this. Can I help you? Never let the presence of a storm cause you to question the character of your God. Never allow the presence of the storm to cause you to question the character of your God. That's why Isaiah 26, 3, this is what he says. You'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on. Why? Because he trusts in. I trust in you, God. And based upon the trust that I have in you, peace is connected to my trust of you. Peace is connected to how much you trust God. Now, don't get me wrong. We still have to use wisdom. We still have to use the right methods. We still have to make sure that we're adhering to what the scientists tell us is right and what we should do because God has given them that expertise. But can I tell you, that is not where your ultimate trust lies. That is not where your ultimate trust should be. That is not where you're supposed to put your ultimate confidence. But it says that peace is connected to how much I trust him. Is there anybody in here who's saying, God, I trust you. I believe in you. I have confidence in you. And I need your peace. Number three, not just a word of purpose and a word of panic. Number three now, a word of power. Everybody say power. I love this. Three word phrase. Mark chapter four, verse 39. 
He got up. <laughs> Y'all thought that was just for Easter, huh? He got up. He didn't look at them. He didn't say anything. Look, it's, it's different from Matthew chapter 8, Luke chapter 8. It's a different telling of the story. I love Mark's version better. Because in Matthew chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, Jesus looks at them and says something to him. Mark says, no, no, no. He got right to business. He got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, peace, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Jesus flexes some of his muscles. Jesus flexes on the disciples. He stunts on them. He says, watch this. Be quiet. Okay, y'all happy now? You know you serve a God that likes to show off? That's a parenthetical interjection here. That's for free. You know you serve a God that likes to show off? You know you serve a God that really, really likes to flex? And some of y'all are thinking that God is so disconnected, God is going to take you to the point where it looks like you're going to go over the cliff, and then he's going behind the back, reach down with his pinky finger and say, I got you. God likes flexing. Some of you have lived long enough to realize and understand the fact that I've been put in some situations I should have been able to get myself out of. I've been put in some situations I should have died. I should have been locked up. I should have been lost my mind. But right at the last moment, he flexed. He pulled me out. He got up and said, no, 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 no. I got you. Then why was he sleeping? A lot of people ask that question. Jesus was asleep. It said on a, on a pillow. He was knocked out. He was dozing. He had that little one line of drool coming down his beard. Y'all know on Sunday naps, you got that little one line of drool. You wake up, you forget what day it is. You think you're supposed to be at work. That's a real nap. Jesus was getting it in. And they messed with his Sunday nap. Why are you asleep? Storm truth number three. You ready? Storms help us to see hidden parts of God. Storms help us to see hidden parts of God. Why was he asleep? Why you sleep, Jesus? Wake up. Don't you even care? Come on. He wakes up, calms it. Why is Jesus asleep and everybody else is fretting? Why is Jesus asleep? Why is he knocked out with the one line of drool going down his beard when everybody else is crying and screaming and snotting and getting ready to tear their eyes out? Can I help you? Just because they were in the control seat doesn't mean they were driving. Just because they had one hand on the steering wheel doesn't mean that they were in charge. God acts like he sleeps sometimes and quiets just to remind you through the storm. He uses the storm as a device, y'all. He says, I'm going to let this storm remind you that you are not in control. I'm going to let this storm remind you that you are not sovereign. I'm going to let this storm remind you that you are not autonomous. And I think there might be a couple of people in here who can testify and who can admit that there were times in my life where I acted as though I had everything together and I was doing everything I was supposed to do and I was doing it in my own strength and in my own might and in my own capability and then God showed me, no, 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 you're not in charge. You're not in charge. You know, I, I, I realized recently that you know, when we talk about charge, when we talk about being in charge, I realized recently, you know, I grew up differently than everybody else did. So I'm a, I'm a PK, right? Any PKs in the house? The PKs in the house, keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. Wellington Destiny, keep hope alive. You see, when I used to hang out with my little friends, you know, that's what my parents called them. They called them my little friends. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
I used to hang out with my little friends, and, and, and I used to say, you know, um, man, my little friends, their parents let them do stuff that my parents would never let me do. You see, I live in a strict household, not strict, strict. <laughs> it was so strict, they wouldn't let me have that second tea. And so when I hung out with my little friends, Johnny and them or whoever they were called, you know, I would hang out with them. And, and you know, something really shocked me. I'd go over to Johnny's house, and, and we would play. His name wasn't really Johnny. It's just an amalgamation of all my friends. You know, that's how parents, they say, you know, Johnny, you know, your little friend Johnny, right? And so, you know, I, I was hanging out with my, with my friend Johnny, and we were playing video games in his room, and then something happened that, that made me take a step back. I almost was shocked because he reached over and he locked his door. I said, oh, oh my goodness, y'all get away with, you, you lock your, you lock your door? And then let me, let me tell you, let me tell you, went to another level, went to another level. It almost knocked me back. I almost fell back on my back, y'all. I was almost slain in the spirit because his mom walks up and she. I said, oh, oh my goodness. Now, mind you, we're 12, 13 years old. And I'm like, listen, I, that doesn't happen in my house. Maybe it happens in your house. I'm just saying it doesn't happen in my house, you see. And he had this sign on his, on his door. He had this sign that said, no trespassing. And so I'm like, whoa, whoa, you, I said, man, I need to take this into the Burns household. I feel like I've made a discovery that God is going to show and he's going to use us. He's going to use Johnny and his parents to stretch us. Amen. Hallelujah. And so I reached out and when I got home, I came up with this discovery. So I decided to, to do a test case, to do an experiment. You see, I reached out and, and, I, and I locked the door. Now, 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 mind you, it wasn't done maliciously. You know, I was, I was trying to make sure that my parents were stretched. You know, I was trying to establish my own autonomy. I, my voice was changing. You know, I was getting a little hair on my face. I was getting a little bit taller, you know, getting a little bit stronger. And so I reached out and I locked the door. And then, you know, my mom, she walks, she tries to walk in. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't do this. And so she tried to, not when you, not when you're 13 and in her house. And so she tried to, she tried to do it. And she said, you know, this is how. Black parents are, now I know, now I know you have not lost your mind, young man. You know, sometimes when, you know, she, 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 she gave a threat, right? And so she said, parents, my, both my parents will do this all the time. They'll give threats. And, and so I don't know if it's real because logically it, they shouldn't be able to do this or logically they should go to jail if they do this. But I'm still thinking that, oh, this might happen. So let me shape up. And act right. So she said, I'll take this door off the hinges. And so now she's a praying woman, like for real, for real. It's not a game to her, like speaks in tongues, praying the most spiritual person I know. And so I thought there was a possibility that God would get in her foot and get in her leg and cause her to literally take the door off the hinges. So I open it up real quick. She steps in and she says, now I know. You're not thinking you can lock doors in this house. I said, Mom, but you got to understand, you see, some of my friends, they parents, they let, they let him lock the door. And you know what she said, right? Oh, so if your friend jump off a bridge, you're going to jump too? And I said, well, no, but I'm just saying, Mom, it's just, you know, she said, let me remind you of something. Let me ask you a question first. Since you think that this is your room, what bills do you pay in this house? 
Do you pay the light bill? Do you pay the water bill? Do you pay part of the mortgage that I am unaware of? Do you pay any of the cable? Do you pay any of the Wi-Fi? Can you help me out? Do you pay any bills? And I'm like, Mom, what does that have to, what does that have to do with anything? And she's like, this is my house because I pay the bills. And because this is my house, this room does not belong to you. This room belongs to me. And I know that's funny, and I know most of us have experienced that, and I know we think that's a ha-ha-ha, yeah, I did that, I had to do that this, this past week, some of y'all will say. But what God is challenging us is, why are you sectioning off parts of your life and acting as though I don't have autonomy, and you're saying, God, please knock before you tell me to do this. God, please knock before I give this up to you. God, please knock before you ask me to fully surrender. Please knock before you take this area of my life. And God is saying to you, did you wake yourself up this morning? Did you give yourself the activity of your limbs? Did you keep your lungs inflating and deflating? Did you keep your neurons firing in your brain? This ain't your body. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This belongs to me. You ain't in charge. I have to show you power so that you won't think that you run this. And God will let a storm come through and knock down the proverbial door of your soul to remind you, if you're not going to give it up to me willingly, I will take it. I will make you surrender because I love you that much. It ain't yours to begin with. That's the power of God. The power of God puts your situation and you in your place. That's what gets to number four. Number four, word of purpose, word of panic, word of power. Number four, word of praise. Mark 4, 41, right before this in verse 40, he said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? What's your problem? Do you still have no faith? Then he says this. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey this man. Who is this? Storm truth number four. Not only do storms hurt us when we least expect them. Not only do storms help us to see hidden parts of God. Not only do storms do those things, but storms, number four, they humble us in the presence of God. Storms humble us. You know, uh, this Easter Sunday, we will have been in existence for 28 years at the church. I think that's significant. I think that's significant. Almost three decades. That's significant. The average lifespan of a church is much shorter. And we've experienced so many different things. I've been here since the beginning. When I was three years old, holding the door open for my parents, wheeling in all the equipment. They would get there hours before, and they would set up everything set up all the chairs, set up all the sound equipment, greet everybody, wait till they left after the service and break down all that sound equipment when nobody else was there, take it out to the van and take it to the storage place. We would get up at 5 in the morning, I remember, and we'd get home at 5 o'clock at night. They would do that for weeks on end until we got an infrastructure and a team. And, and I've seen all kinds of different services, but you know we've had a lot of people who are national or international names, global voices. We've had conferences. We've had all types of powerful services. But can I tell you about the greatest service I think we've ever had? Can I tell you about that? You see, it was also September of 2004. September 2004, remember I told you Hurricane Ivan had hit, right? Hurricane Ivan had hit, and the sermon and the service that rings out in my mind above all the great and famous people and 
Christian celebrities and Christian anointed folks and men and women of God who have come and laid their hands on these mics and preached to us. I remember that service more than than the others. And the reason is because, you know, we have this question of, are we going to have church? We got to have church. And what people don't remember, some of you weren't around in 2004, but there was some damage to the building that we were in. So we couldn't be in there. So there was water damage. And so we had to rip up some things and we had to make some adjustments. And so we said, well, we we can't meet in there. And and we couldn't meet in a smaller room. And so we were looking around because there was no power even. And so we were looking around and we're saying, what are we going to do? And then I remember, I don't know who decided it, but someone said, we'll praise God outside. Now, this is Pensacola, Florida. Now, this isn't wintertime. This is fall, which is an extended summer for us. A hurricane had just come through. It's September. It's really hot outside. But I'm going to tell you, we grabbed the podium, and someone put a podium outside in front of one of the buildings and started to line up chairs, and the choir came. And I have to be honest with you, I don't remember if we even had any instruments or any drums or anything, and there was no sound system, and And we praised God and we were all sweating and we were all crying because some of us realized the fact that we were stepping from places where we didn't have power into the presence of God. And all we needed was just to gather with one another. All we needed was just to see our brothers and our sisters. All we needed is just to hear a word from God. And that's when I realized something, church. I realized that I go to a church with people who know how to praise God in the middle of a storm. You see, I go to church with people who know how to shout to God when they're going through. And I'm looking at some faces right here. And y'all may not know, but there's some faces in here of people. And if they grabbed this mic and told their testimony, you would be shocked because they were put out of the place where they were living. They were on a hospital bed and they were given their last rites. They were at the end of the month and didn't have any money to get through. They were looking around saying, what am I going to do about my son or my daughter? And they were looking around and they didn't have anything, but, but they still praise God. They showed up and you wouldn't have even known that they were going through something because it wasn't about the the appearance. It was about their sanity. They realized that all they had in that moment was to tap into a power that was beyond their own power. All they had in that moment was to reach up and say, you're the everlasting God and I trust you. I'll put trust in you. All they had, we didn't have no keyboards. We didn't have no drums. We didn't have a Hammond B3 organ. We didn't have a microphone. We didn't have any of those things. We didn't have a fancy projector. We didn't have MacBook computers, but we had our praise. We had our hallelujah. We had the fruit of our lips. We had our thank you, Jesus. We had our praise you father we had a wave offering that we could give and I don't know about you but there's something in me that's saying right now I think we need a word of praise church I think we need a word of praise I think we need a hallelujah I think we need a shout I think we need something that comes from our inner man I think we need something that can lift up a good God and say you're worthy all we had was a praise that's all we had All we had was what came out of our mouths. Remain standing. Remain standing. Do you realize? Hear me. We have had some of the greatest preachers in the history of the church to stand in our pulpits and preach to us. Some of the greatest psalmists and ministers of the gospel to sing and to lift up a shout. But the greatest service I remember didn't have nothing to do with any of them had everything to do with the fact that when we were at our lowest, we still had a praise. 
It's easy. Hear me. Hear me. Hear me. You better hear this. It's easy to praise God when things are going well. It's easy to praise God when everything is figured out. It's easy to praise God when we got a big fancy building. It's easy to praise God when the equipment is top notch. It's easy to praise God when everything is set in motion and it runs by itself. Real easy to trust God then. Matter of fact, you don't even have to trust God then. You can just trust the structure. And there's nothing wrong with structure. Don't get me wrong. We need it. It's important. But I think God sometimes brings us to the end of ourselves to say, are you going to praise me when there's uncertainty? Are you going to praise me when you don't know? I honor everybody who decided not to come through today. I honor them. It's not a right or wrong decision. That's not what I'm getting into. So it's not a put down. But there was something in me that says there's a difference between science and the supernatural. And it's incumbent upon us to respect the science. But it's incumbent upon the other people who are leaning so much on the scientific facts to honor the supernatural and say there's a, there's a point where our science ends and where the supernatural begins and the Holy Spirit steps in. And I don't know about you, but I couldn't have got what I got today from that choir through the live stream. I couldn't have got it. Couldn't have got it. I needed it. I needed it. My soul needed it. I've been scrolling so much. I've been clicking so much. I've been sharing so much. I've been watching the screen so much. My heart was heavy. And God, through this sermon, he had to wake me up. So you better remind yourself. Only thing that's going to get you through this is a praise, son. Only thing that's going to get us through is a word of praise. That's it. Can we lift hands right now? Father God, in the name of Jesus. God, all we have is a praise. That's it. All we got is a shout. All we got is a, what manner of God is this? Can I tell you something about the disciples? The disciples looked at Jesus and they said, we've been scared of the storm. But one translation, one account of the story says that they were terrified. But then when they saw Jesus, they were very, very much afraid. Their respect and reverence in that moment shifted from reverencing the storm to reverencing the Savior. They said, we're not going to be more scared of the storm than shocked by how great and awesome you are. And God had to put them through a storm to shift their focus and say, you better not put your lips so much on this storm 
that you forget to praise me. You better not put your lips so much on the problem that you forget to worship me. You better not put your mouth so much on the thing that you're facing that you forget the one who's bigger than it. And I think we ought to just give him a shout of praise. We ought to just lift it up in the house because we need to praise him. We need to honor him. We need to worship him. Oh, don't stop. We need, we need it for our sanity. We need it for our soul. Give him a shout. Give him a shout of praise. What manner of man is this? What type of God would calm the winds and the waves? What type of God would allow a virus to sweep through the globe? What type of God? Do you even care? God, we can't see. We don't know what's going on. We have no clue. It's beyond our capacity. We have the infinite access of the internet and yet still we have gotten to a brick wall. We have no idea what's going on. I pray that you would still our hearts, still our souls, calm our minds, correct our misconceptions. Would you challenge us to change us. God, I pray for everyone who is in what they call the target range. Everyone above 60. In the target range. May you supernaturally protect them, God. May virus cells that are on surfaces dissipate. May bacteria shrivel up and die. May immune systems be strengthened. Receive a touch from an almighty God. May you anoint them from head to toe. In their inner man. In the parts they can't see. And God, would you give us the strength to face it. Look it dead in the eyes. Say, you can't hurt us. You may kill us, but you can't hurt us. There's a difference. Because our hope, our hope is in, it's in Jesus. It's in him. We give him praise. We give you praise, God. Give us wisdom. Give us minds that see. And God, may we never look at this storm and magnify it and dwell on it to the extent that it's the only thing we should think about. We take our minds under captivity. Every thought, every imagination, everything that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God, we speak faith, we speak hope, we speak love, we speak peace, we speak togetherness in this time. And we will give you a praise. It doesn't matter if we're able to meet or we're not able to meet. Whatever it is, God, we're going to be wise. But in the midst of our wisdom, we still going to praise you. We're still going to worship you. We're still going to say our hallelujah. 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 give you some practical things. Three things. Three things really quickly. Three things that I want you to, to keep in mind. Um, if you can't go to the next slide. Three things that I want you to keep in mind. Number one, I want you to be prayerful. Everybody say be prayerful. We need to drench ourselves in prayer. We need to drench ourselves in worship. We need to make sure that our, our hearts and our souls are centered 
I want to encourage you to put a limit on your social media, a limit on your news consumption. I want to challenge you to get what you need to get. Get the things that are important and pertinent to your lives. Stay up to date and stay current. But also, make sure that you're praying twice as much as you watch that. Please. Your soul, it's doing violence to our souls. Number two, be wise. Everybody say be wise. Be wise. Now listen, we serve a God who can heal. But we're not going to tempt that God. That means we're not reckless. Okay? Faith, faithfulness is not recklessness. Okay? We don't just go out and just do whatever. Okay? So we may need to come around each other. may need to make sure that we limit how much we're in large crowds. That's good. That's good for us. That's good for our neighbors. That's good for our souls. That's good for our hearts. We don't know what it's going to look like, so I encourage you to be wise. Number three, be compassionate. Everybody say compassionate. That means that we come together as a church and we face this together together there's some people who are not going to be willing to step out into the street go to the grocery store go to the mall get whatever it is that they need that means that those of us who are strong and healthy need to come alongside of them and we need to sacrifice ourselves and go out into those places and bring it back to them. There are some people who are facing diseases. They're immunocompromised. They're not going to be able to be out in large crowds of people. So what we need to do as a church is we need to take that step and serve them and be compassionate towards them. Young people, we talk about being multi-generational. And being multi-generational is not just about empowering youth and young adults. It is about serving the boomers and the builders and the people who paved the way for us. We want to serve you. That's what being multi-generational means. It doesn't just mean that we take the mic and do whatever we want to do. It means that we strategically serve those who are older than us and those seasoned saints who have paved the way for us. So with that in mind, I want actually, everybody sit down. We'll shout at the end. Everybody sit down. This is very practical. Everybody sit down. And I want you to text the word hope. The word hope. Pull out your phones. Text the word hope to 833-602-8230. 833-602-8230. Now with all of you texting at the same time, it might overwhelm the server. But we will put this jot form or this support form. It's going to say NDCC support form. Once you get the auto reply text back, you're going to click it. It's going to say NDCC support form. We will put this in our group meet. We will put this on NDCC Pensacola. And this is a way, if you will just take a few minutes at the end of church and fill this out, that's 833-602-8230. We're going to keep this up even after church. You can take a picture of it. You can fill it out later if you want. This is a way that we can support you. If you need emotional support, relational support, spiritual support, tangible support, whatever it may look like, we're going to come alongside you to make sure we get through this. Okay? Amen? We're going to make sure that, that we get through this. Now, again, we're going to put this in the group me. We're going to circulate this via text messages as well. So if you don't get an immediate text back, don't worry. We are still going to put that form in our group me. Okay? We're going to get through this together. Amen? So this is what it means. This is what it means to trust God and to also be wise at the same time. We are prayerful. We are wise. We are compassionate. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. Amen? Amen? Lift your hands, because there's someone in here who's 
succumbing to fear, even right now, succumbing to fear. I want to pray against it. I want to pray against it. Father, I speak against fear. I speak against confusion. I speak against despair. I speak against discouragement. I don't know who it is, but I felt this overwhelming sense of doubt. What is going to happen? If that's you, don't feel condemned. God wants to encourage you. He wants to let you know that you're not in this by yourself. God, would you be the lifter of their heads right now? Would you pull together fractured parts of their souls? You will not be alone. You will not be by yourself. You will not be isolated. We love you. We're going to come alongside you. There are people who are going to walk with you. We speak against fear. The spirit of fear, we say, go in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Why don't you put your hands together if you got a word of praise in your heart?